Well, it is Christmas time here at Village Bible Church. We just finished an incredible series out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And now we turn to that time of the year where we get to celebrate and commemorate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it is an altogether difficult proposition to come up with yet again another Christmas sermon series. We've only got limited parts of the story, and and as a teaching team, we always want to think through how can we uh, proclaim the truths of Scripture in a way that doesn't seem redundant or, or doesn't seem rehashed. Now, there's something glorious about going through the gospel narratives, being reminded of that first Christmas celebration, but as we were talking as a team, we were talking about the place that music has at Christmas. It's amazing that we encounter music during this season unlike any other season of the year. Uh, No other uh, holiday or celebration we have as people comes with so many sounds to the season. In fact, the most listened to radio station in the Chicagoland area will be a radio station, 93.9, that dedicates itself from the day after Halloween to January 1st, the playing, perpetual playing of Christmas music, 1,500 hours of a Christmas loop. And people can't get enough of it. In fact, the executive director of the station said they have people that are clamoring. They get more mail regarding playing more Christmas music earlier in the year. So a quick poll, how many would like to see more Christmas music in October? Okay, there's some of you. How many like to see it starting now? Okay. So we love our music, except for the Bah Humbugs here that we just rose their hands here. We love our Christmas music. We love those sounds. But like many traditions, many things that we do during a holiday celebration, many times we don't know why we celebrate like that. We don't know why we sing the songs that we do. And so as a church, we decided that our focus this Christmas would be on this phrase, heaven and nature sing. Now, we've already, if you've been here for the last seven days, you have already seen that in full bloom. Uh, Our Christmas concert, man, if you missed out on last Sunday night's Christmas concert, mark your calendar, first Sunday uh, of next year. You don't want to miss it. We think we're going to have to add another show, maybe because the concert was an outstanding time to usher in the sounds of Christmas. And for our ladies, uh, over 250 ladies filled this room uh, this last Friday, and they uh, got to be a part of an incredible caroling group and and the storylines of uh, what these beloved songs that we sing mean and the focus and the context of where they came. Well, that's what we want to do for the four Sundays or four opportunities we have before Christmas Day. Uh, You see, we want to talk about some of those songs, some of those songs that we sing that maybe we don't know why we sing them. We sing them, we like the melody, maybe we know the words by heart, but we don't know why they were written and where they come from. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to look at four songs, and we're going to look at this Christmas playlist. Uh, Next week, we're going to sing the song and hear about the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. On Christmas Eve, we're going to hear about O Holy Night. 
On Christmas Day, and I invite you to be a part of that as well, we're going to hear about the meaning behind the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And today, we're going to focus our time and attention on what is the most played of all Christmas songs in all of history, Joy to the World. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 98, and then also we're going to be in the book of Revelation. In fact, the last passage in the entire Bible, those are the two places we're going to be. And for the next couple moments, I want to tell you about this most beloved of songs, Joy to the World. It was written in 1719 by a man named Isaac Watts. If you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, you know that name because you have no doubt sang some of the other songs that he has written and composed. Songs like, I sing the mighty power of God. When I survey the wondrous cross, our God, our help in ages past, and of course, this most beloved of carols, joy to the world. Now, Isaac was born uh, in 1674. His father ran a, a boarding house out of their home, so Isaac, as a young boy, was very well educated and well versed in all areas of reading and math and science. But his love was for poetry, for writing. And he loved, even as a young kid, writing poetry for his family. Uh, he had this habit of rhyming, which of course would help in writing songs so much that his parents told him, his father in fact at one point said, Isaac, you cannot rhyme anymore. Just stop it. Now, there's a lot of things I've told my children to stop doing. Rhyming or writing poetry was not one of them. As one form of punishment, at seven years of age, Isaac's mom, so frustrated with him, told him to sit down and to deal with this poetry once and for all, this rhyming problem, and she said that he had a set amount of time, there, there's differing opinions on how long that was, and that he was to write out his story in rhyme and in poem. To her astonishment, he wrote this. Take a look at this. It's hard to read, so I'm going to go ahead and, and, and have you flip it. He says this, seven years of age, I am a vile, polluted lump of earth. So I've continued ever since my birth. Although Jehovah grace doth daily give me, as surely this monster Satan will deceive me. Come therefore, Lord, from Satan's claws relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and grace divine impart. Then search and try the corners of my heart, that I in all things may fit, be fit to do service to thee and sing praise thy praises too. Seven years of age and notice an acrostic of his name, Isaac Watts. This is one brilliant individual. This is one where Hooked on Phonics worked for him. And so this young man at 16 years of age writes his first hymn. And the reason why he writes it, on the way home from church, see, nothing has changed. The family was complaining about what had transpired at church. And one of the things Isaac said at 16 is, I don't like the music we're singing. It's dull. It's boring. And his father said, if you don't like it, do something about it. So he went home that Sunday afternoon, and he wrote his first hymn based on Revelation 5, 6 through 12. 
And so here we have this man. This man would write this song in 1719 that would be known as Joy to the World. Now you would think that the man who would write probably the most amazing song about the joy that we should have around this season of Christmas. By the way, the song was not written as a Christmas carol, but in fact was written that the joy that you and I have should come as a knowledge is growing within us of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not his first coming in Bethlehem, but a second future coming where he will write everything and address everything and bring his people to live with him forever. You would think that this song surrounding joy would be written during an amazing time of happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction, but it's not. And what we see as we approach this carol this morning is, number one, that our world needs some joy. Our world needs some joy. Every single study that we have as human beings are telling us the same thing. Our joy is eroding. Notice uh, the first thing that we see starting, uh, they did a study that started in 1976. That was when I was born. That was where joy uh, was at a good spot. Of course, I came into the world, people were happy, right? And then for a while, it clipped up till about my uh, senior year of high school. We had the highest level of joy. That was the teacher saying, he's gone. Praise God. This is great. Uh, He can move on into adulthood. Then the world got Tim and all of his fun, and joy began to erode. Notice that joy has been on a steady downturn uh, all the way to 2018. And you say, 2018, that's almost five years now ago. Where has our joy gone since? I want you to notice that our joy has cratered since then. The next thing I want you to see is that uh, this study was done just recently. 14% of people say they're very happy. Uh, And a great number of people, almost half of the people, have no joy. And they feel incredibly lonely. Now, the biggest reason for that big drop is because of the COVID pandemic. And so we have an unhappy, sad, unjoyful, or joyless people. Now, when this song was written, it was written in a time of chaos. When he put pen to paper... Isaac would have personal chaos going on in his life. Uh, First of all, he wrote this on the heels of a terrible encounter that he would have. He was starting to be known for the hymn writer that he was, and he was becoming an up-and-coming pastor who was known in England. And a lady wrote him, and her name was Elizabeth Springer. And she loved everything that Isaac wrote. And she would read it, never have met him. She fell in love with him. And in mail, after corresponding for over a year, she proposed marriage to Isaac. And she said, if we're going to be engaged, we probably should meet. So she took a train and met Isaac at the train station. But they never, ever met personally. The reason why is Elizabeth, when departing from the train, overheard someone announce Isaac and saw who he was. Put Isaac's picture back up. This is what she wrote in the diary that evening when she got back home. She described the man that she had proposed to. 
He was only five feet tall. He had a shallow face, a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like color. Isaac would never meet that woman. Isaac would never experience the love of a woman. He would never experience marriage of which he always desired and wanted. He was brokenhearted over this love that was lost. During that time as well, Isaac and his whole surrounding community was being ravaged by the bubonic plague. In fact, many of the people, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25% of his area villages would be impacted by death as a result of this disease. It was a time of great chaos. It was also a time where people were forced, Christians were forced to conform. You see, Isaac was a part of a family that wasn't involved in the state-run Anglican church. And so they were constantly being persecuted and constantly being pressured to conform to the majority's belief on things. And so here was this time where it was hard to go to church, it, it was hard to see hope and joy in the world, and yet, by opening the scriptures, Isaac would be able to say, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. You see, for many of us, we have lots of stories, maybe not as perfectly similar to Isaac of love that is lost, but we've all experienced chaos in our lives. And when chaos comes, joy is eroded. When we are pressed in, and in these days we're seeing more and more pressure to conform to the ideals and desires and, and beliefs of the world around us, it is easy for us to lose hope and to lose joy. But what he did is what we need to do this Christmas season, and that is turn to the Scriptures. He turned to Psalm 98. If you're not there yet, turn there for a moment. Psalm 98 and what we have in Psalm 98 are, are the words that would be the basis of joy to the world. Let me read it for you. It's a psalm that is given at the top of Psalm 98. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Isaac Watt reads that and it changes his outlook. You see, when we turn to the Scriptures, our circumstances begin to melt away, and the truth of Scripture begins to give us the joy and the hope we need. One commentator on Psalm 98 said this. He said the following. He said, one cannot read this psalm without being a happier man. 
without lofty views of God, without feeling that he is worthy of universal praise, without recognizing he is in a world where the mind should be joyful and that he is under the dominion of a God whose reign should fill the mind with gladness. Do you have that view of God this morning? That you are so enveloped into who God is and what he is doing that you are filled with joy. Psalm 98 is a psalm that is written about all that God has done. You see, our world needs some joy, yes. And joy is found when we see, write this down for point number two, the work that Jesus did to bring joy. What did Jesus do to bring us joy? Well, in Psalm 98 and in the song Joy to the World, we see it. First of all, we see that Jesus has made true or has fulfilled every commitment. The opening stanza of Joy to the World goes as this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. In the passage in Psalm 98, it says we are to sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. Here's what Isaac Watts wants us to know. Our joy should be filled because there is only one promise. Listen to me, my friends. There is only one promise left that Jesus hasn't fulfilled. I'm coming back. That's it. And what we need to recognize is we can have hope and joy in knowing that that promise will come true because he has filled the thousands of other promises that he wrote in Scripture. So yes, we have to have faith that he's going to come back, but here we know he has done marvelous things. Look at Psalm 98 again. He has worked salvation for us. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered us with his steadfast love and faithfulness that all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So therefore, in light of all that God has done, fulfilling all of his commitments to us, we should make a joyful noise to the Lord. He has fulfilled his commitments. Number two, he's in charge The reason why we can have joy amidst very difficult circumstances is our Lord is in charge. Notice it says no less than six times the phrase Lord, the sovereign one, the one who is in control. Now, notice it says that this Lord is in fact, in verse six, we are to make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Jesus is the sovereign one who rules and reigns over all of his creation. Now, there are times and there are moments in our lives where our lives seem totally, or the world we live in seems totally and utterly out of control. But when we take our eyes off of the world and its circumstances, we will see as we learn in the story of Christmas that at just the right time and in just the right way, God plans every step to affect the most glory and praise for himself. And so we need to recognize at times the world will seem dark and it seems that when the world is at its darkest, Christ's light shines brightest. 
And maybe in this dark world that we live in, this moment where we wonder if there's hope and joy in the world, could it be that God is up to something great and might he be fulfilling that last promise to us that Jesus Christ would come back? You see, Jesus did great things. Jesus, then verse nine, he's our only constant. He is the one who will judge with righteousness and equity. This is where it says that uh, in the song that he rules the world, Isaac Watts says, with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. You see, the whole premise and point to this sermon is this. God wants us to have joy. And as we've learned when it comes to wisdom out of the book of Ecclesiastes, without God we'll never find it. And so God in his mercy sent Jesus so that we might in him find the joy that we're looking for. But what about for us who have come to know Jesus and are living with Jesus and are being battered and and beaten by the circumstances and chaos of this world Jesus left his disciples and said peace I give to you do not let your hearts be troubled trust in God trust also in me for I go to prepare a place for you you see our peace and our joy isn't found in the moments but it's in the promise that is to come let me give you my final point and that is the way we find joy the way to finding joy is just that maybe this morning you like Isaac find yourself at a place of great darkness and despair joy can be found I want you to see a couple things. I want you to turn to the last page in your Bible. The last page in your Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22, Jesus speaks. John has recorded much of the book of Revelation and written it down for us. But Jesus takes pen into hand and he writes these things starting in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon bringing recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Go down to verse 20. He says this, he who testified these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The first way you and I find joy this Christmas is by looking to the coming Savior. Looking to the one who is going to come. Twice Jesus says, I am coming soon. That phrase soon is quickly. I am at hand. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus. We have been waiting 2,000 years for this coming. It seems like an awful long time to say, you're coming soon. But let us remember that to our Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 days is like Uh, a thousand years is like a day to our Lord and we need to recognize for the Lord this is just two days he'll be here maybe in another day he may be here even today are you looking forward to that now Isaac Watts says this joy of the world the Lord has come let earth receive her king 
Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. So how do we know if we're looking for the coming Savior? It's all about our preparation. And notice in our passage here in Revelation, the preparation is there right before us. In verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So what we are doing as we await the coming of our Lord, we prepare by living here on earth as we will in heaven. We live here on earth as if we are living in the very presence of God as we will for all of eternity. And so notice what he says next. We've got to let go of sin. He says that if we're going to live as if we're living heaven here on earth, he says outside are sorcerers and dogs, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So there's this dichotomy. Those who anticipate the Lord's coming will live as if they're in heaven already, and they will get rid of the things in their lives. They will say no to the things in their lives that aren't allowed in heaven. The worldly passions and lusts, the desires, the earthly things that, uh, that have no place in our celebration and joyful response in eternity. We look to the coming Savior. We let go of our sin. And notice, we live expectantly every day. We live expectantly every day. The passage tells us at the end, one of the last verses of the Bible says these four words, Amen, come Lord Jesus. The way we live expectantly, the way we find joy in this world is to live each day, listen to me my friends, as if today is the day we'll meet our maker. That today is the day that we will see Jesus Christ face to face that we will behold heaven and all the glories of it. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for his people. And some of us say, well, if I could just experience a little of that and know a little bit of that now, maybe my life would be a little more holy. Maybe it'd be a little bit more obedient. Here is what Jesus is telling us. Today is the day that you may meet me. And if today is the day, will he find us faithful you see for a lot of us we're looking for joy for something under the tree it'll never be found we're looking for joy in a person in a possession in a in a certain pleasure in a a certain position and as we learn from solomon it's all vanity let me close with this phrase from uh, rc sproul he says our joy is to come from the assurance that we have redemption in Christ. The greatest joy that a person can have is to know that his name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that he is saved, and he will live forever with Christ. Does that not, the prospect of living with Christ in a place of total peace, where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, the old things are gone, and the new has come to live for eternity with our Lord. Should that not bring joy to the world, my friend? I pray it does. And I pray that your heart would prepare him room this Christmas.